0: Wired.com presents The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. And here is your
1: host, David Barr Kirtley. Hello, and welcome to episode 556 of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. I'm David Barr Kirtley, author of the book Save Me Please and Other Stories. Publishers Weekly says, Visceral settings and robust characters will have readers marveling at how much Kirtley is able to fit into a limited page count. For SFF fans with no time to sink into a doorstopper, these concentrated doses of genre goodness will hit the spot. And Kirkus Reviews writes, Curtley employs sharp, concise prose that complements his puckish sense of humor. The author's passionate voice breathes life into this wonderful array of tales. So again, the book is called Save Me, Please, and Other Stories. And it's available now on Amazon.com. And today on the show we'll be discussing seasons 1 and 2 of the Apple TV Plus series For All Mankind, an alternate history in which the Soviet Union beats the United States to the moon. And this will include spoilers for everything in seasons 1 and 2, so just be aware of that. And I'm joined by three guests. So first up we've got our producer John Joseph Adams. He's the editor of Lightspeed Magazine and the series editor of The Best American Science Fiction and Fantasy, and he's also edited more than 40 other anthologies. His most recent projects are the Amazon Original Stories collection The Far Reaches, featuring stories by James S. A. Corey, Veronica Roth, John Scalzi, Nnedi Okorafor, Rebecca Roanhorse, and Anne Leckie, and Out There Screaming, an anthology of New Black Horror, which he edited with Jordan Peele. So,
0: John, welcome back. Hey, always good to be here. I also brought my puck sense of humor.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Then next up, we've got Sarah Lynn Mishner, making her 27th appearance on the show. She's the author of many essays, mostly on the intersection between fandom, science fiction, feminism, and social justice, with titles such as Science Fiction Often Wins the Bechdel Test by Breaking It, which is part of its job. She's also the Chief Creative Officer at Lightburn Software, so she has access to an army of laser cutters, and she just finished pulling off the company's first convention. So Sarah, welcome to the show.
2: Happy to be here.
1: And also joining us today is Raphael Jordan, making his 17th appearance on the show. He's written over 25 feature films, including Lost Colony, The Legend of Roanoke, The Immortal Voyage of Captain Drake, and Star Runners. He also co-created and co-wrote Salvage Marines, a space opera series starring Casper Van Dien and Peter Shinkota. And he's also the lead guitarist of Visera, an LA based rock band who provided music for the series. So, Raphael, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me back. Okay, so John, this is the first time we're having you on the show since the news came out about your anthology out there screaming. Oh, mm-hmm. so I just want to give you a chance to quickly tell people about that.
0: Uh sure. Yeah. Um so uh like Dave said uh, it's a anthology I co-edited with Jordan Peel uh which was a pretty incredible experience uh, to you know be able to do. Um and uh yeah, I mean it's a just an original horror anthology of uh you know uh, featuring all black authors um and um you know so the the Peel people um you know Peel and his team I should say um they uh they they came up with the project and and pitched it to a publisher and sold it and stuff and then um they uh wanted to pair up with an editor who had you know a lot of experience doing short stories and stuff, and so um I was fortunate enough to be selected and um yeah and it, it just went really great um i it was a wonderful experience uh Jordan and his old team is great um he and I did not become best friends <laughs> alas, last but um but it was uh it was a very very cool experience and um you know so hopefully you get to do more stuff like that.
1: Yeah and this is a New York Times bestseller, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, that was also very cool. And we got right at the at the bottom of the list, number 15 that, you know, that's the bottom that gets printed in the paper, but you know like number 15 for an anthology is like number 1. I mean, you know, anthologies don't get on the New York Times bestseller list, so um, you know, that was a yeah. tremendous win.
1: Well, cuz I remember when uh, The Living Dead came out, it made it onto the extended list, so like just kind of missed being on the the actual yeah, list.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: So Glad you finally yeah, made it. That's a it definite. was actually,
0: it was actually uh, like I think maybe um, it was either months later or like maybe almost a year later after uh, that. The living that actually happened with the Living Dead because it was like right before Christmas or something, and it was so it was like it was a weird time for it to have happened. It's just that there was like a huge influx of sales at, at the at that whatever whatever that time was. It wasn't like right so when it came out. It
1: yeah. kind of like rose from the dead. <laughs> would
0: say. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: All right, cool. So yeah, everyone check that out. Again, it's called Out There Screaming. Um, Okay, but so let's get into our our show for today. So Sarah, kind of what were your uh, expectations going into For All Mankind?
2: It's hard to remember because this came out uh, years ago and I was on board from The moment that I saw the first trailer. And this is really when, you know, Apple TV Plus kind of came out. Like I remember they launched, I think, with C, and they very quickly, you know, made it very clear that they were emphasizing science fiction. Um, and I loved that. You know, it was sort of it was almost like I thought of it as a science fiction streaming channel. Like I was aware that they had other shows and great shows, like Ted Lasso, for instance, totally different, but you know, great show but i thought of it as you know oh yeah no, apple tv plus is is about science fiction obviously mm-hmm. um so yeah i i was completely on board with the premise and you know loved it right out of the box
1: yeah i guess i'll explain if you if you don't know that so season as we're recording this season 4 has just started airing but i'd never seen this show and i figured that three or four seasons would be too much to too much material to cover in one episode, you know, usually we talk about one season of TV or sometimes two. So I figured we would break this up into two panels. So we're just going to talk about seasons one and two in this one, which I just watched. And then we'll come back, uh, you know, at a future date and talk about seasons three and four, which I have not seen yet. So nobody spoil, nobody say uh-huh. any spoilers for, for seasons three or four. Um, but so do you remember, Sarah, like, so um, this was a, is a series from Ronald D. Moore, who uh, was the Star Trek. Like, sort of the, Creator of uh, well, yeah, I, I mean, he worked on Star Trek, and but I, I think he's best known uh, as the creator of the Battlestar Galactica remake that came out, yeah, yeah, around yeah. In early two thousand sometime. So, kind of, how did you uh, did did that affect how you uh, how excited you were for the show or what your expectations were?
2: I think I remember. I mean, it's hard to remember because it's been a couple of years, but and I feel like it came out around the start of the pandemic or something. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm not entirely clear on that, but I think I. You know, as soon as I recognized the name in the credits, I was like, woo, <laughs> You know, and to have the um, the guy that you know worked on the Expanse and Star Trek in there as well. Um, yeah, that starts with an end that I yeah. cannot remember. F- well, it's it's
1: Naren like Shankar. I actually I, I know that because yes. I I interviewed him a couple of years ago. So which is a great Excellent. interview by the way if anyone wants to go check it out but yeah uh expanse awesome show if you haven't seen it but yeah so he's also on this as a executive producer so so some big names in the world of science fiction TV uh on this yeah. show um and how about how about John what were your expectations going into this
0: um, I didn't really have a, a ton of expectations initially. Like I, I saw it, uh, uh, you know, I saw it pop up on Apple TV and I, I didn't really know anything about it. Um, once I started watch, like, so I, I hadn't seen trailers or anything. I didn't even know that it was coming. Um, and then, so when I first started watching it and I saw, uh, that Ron Moore, um, was the creator, uh, I was initially a little trepidatious because, you know, like we loved him for many years as he was running Battlestar Galactica, but then he fumbled at the goal line. Um, and so that scarred me for a long time <laughs> um i, I feel like, yeah, 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 I feel like I've forgiven him now though, because this show is so good, but we've been burned before, no, but I mean you know, this is the kind of show that it's like it seems um like the kind of the kind of fumble that happened in star Galactic that's not gonna happen with this show. It just seems it would be ridiculous, uh like you know there's there's no reason for that there was no reason for it, Battlestar Galactic, but let's let's, let's admit bygones be bygones uh. We love you now, Ron. Um, but um, but yeah, you know, I mean, um, I I really like Joel Kinnaman, um, and um, so I mean, I was like excited to see uh, this kind of uh, like premiere science fiction show on the air, and like to be basis uh, like I have have a basis in an alternate history. I thought was cool. Um, and uh, as I was watching it, I got really more excited about it as I saw that the show was more than just alternate history of the space program, it was like taking that as the starting point and then really telling a lot of like really science fictional stories. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I got very excited about it very quickly and like the first episode's amazing. So, I mean um, you know, if you watch the first episode and you don't like it, I don't know what's wrong with you, but you probably won't like the show.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, so like I said, the the basic premise is that it's an alternate history where the, um, the Soviet union beats the United States to the moon. And this results in a vastly accelerated, or intensified space race and, uh, you know, vastly accelerated development of space technology and space exploration so that, um, and I don't think it's a spoiler to say that the show jumps a decade every mm-hmm. season. Um, so, it, you know, you're, you're seeing this big sweep of history of, of this alternative um, of this alternate history scenario. Um, so that's really cool and kind of like pretty unique in terms of science fiction TV, at least that I can think of. hmm um, but so how about Raphael? What were, what were your uh, expectations going in?
3: You know, um, I didn't know anything about the show. And at the time, I wasn't that high on Apple TV. But Sarah's right. Uh, Apple TV Plus has some of the best sci-fi shows. Um, after all, we, we all just did that uh, silo conversation yep. not long ago mm-hmm. but um yeah once i saw it, it was a ron moore show uh obviously i'm a big fan of his and uh i don't know we'll have to have a separate conversation about this so-called fumbling i i don't know <laughs> but um uh yeah i love how this show thematically you, you might
1: be of... in the minority
3: on that one on that panel yeah. <laughs> uh maybe maybe but um Yeah, I love how this show is kind of thematically uh, a prequel to Star Trek, you know, and he's kind of acknowledged as such that Star Trek posits this fantastic future that we all want to get to. But how do you get there? And uh, this show kind of lays out the groundwork for that. And the alternate history thing is really cool. I didn't know that's what it was. But within two minutes, you kind of know and Mm -hmm. you're like, wow, that's a great hook. Mm -hmm. Um, And I love the every season is a different decade motif even though at some point it's totally going to age out these actors, but uh, it's working so far.
0: (laughs) You know, it's funny. It's like, uh, I, I kind of wish I could get people to just watch the show without ever telling them that it's alternate history because, uh, and I mean, like you can like see the, the poster for it on, uh, you know, the, the, like the, I don't know what, what what do we call these things that we the little box on on Apple. <laughs> what do we call these things in the streaming services? Whatever the poster, um, you know uh, when you see that, like you don't know what it is, but if you read anything about it, it's like it clues you in. But it's like the the just the beginning of the show is like so great. Like I, I mean, imagine if you didn't know at all that it was going to be that. Uh, but even um, like so I rewatched it in prep for the panel, and um, even though uh, even though I had known that it was alternate history, obviously um, I uh. I had forgotten like how they laid the groundwork like right from the start where it's like uh it was just masterfully done like they they they're showing you like um you know the landing on the moon uh uh they're they're showing like the people's reactions to it and they're showing all these Americans and like it's it's really interesting how even knowing it knowing that it was you know about the you know Soviets getting to the moon first uh like just rewatching it. It's just like, I experienced it like kind of fresh all over again, where it's like, and, and you get to uh, really appreciate like how like subtly done they did it, where it's like, you know, you can see Joel Kinnaman's character, who's an astronaut, um, you know, sort of reacting in this strange way. And like, you can kind of think like, oh, well, you know, he's mad that he didn't get to be up there on that mission, but then, then you realize like, you know, a, a few minutes later, it's like, oh, well, you know, he's mad because the Soviets have beat the Americans to the moon. Um, and there's like a lot of stuff like, like a lot of really subtle stuff like that in, the, in those first moments. So I thought that was really well done.
3: Absolutely. I got really lucky. I didn't know it was alternate history and mm. I just turned it on. I think it was early in the pandemic. I was a little late to the party. Maybe I just heard it was a good show. And yeah, within two minutes, you're like, oh, wow. OK. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, and, and Rafael, you're a big space fan, right? I mean, I, I remember there was this thing. I mean, I don't think it was totally serious, but there was this thing you could sign up for a one-way trip to Mars. And you mm-hmm. were like, yeah, I'm, I would tell to go take a one-way hmm. trip to Mars.
3: Oh, absolutely. What was that called? Mars One? That was about Mm -hmm. uh, a decade ago. Yeah. Uh, You have a good memory. Um, (laughs) I totally threw away $38 and a processing (laughs) fee, I think. Um, You know, I knew it was never going to happen, but I wanted to be involved in like whatever the fake reality show was going to (laughs) be. Because, you know, like as they trained all the Martian... Mm-hmm. astronaut candidates they were going to film it and that's how they were going to finance the whole mission supposedly it it didn't mm-hmm. make any sense but i was like you know what if i can get chosen why the hell not
1: <laughs> but are you a big did you grow up like reading about nasa and stuff like that
3: oh definitely um you know my dad was really into you know star trek and star wars and my mom kind of um cultivated my love of astronomy and space and so yeah i grew up with a lot of those nasa picture books and stuff and then Mm. studied astrophysics in college i thought i was going to go into the space program to be honest and then i just did a quick pivot into mm. hollywood instead because um i started watching shows like farscape about 22 years ago and i just thought shoot i I want to write about space
1: (laughs) instead of going into Mm -hmm. it
0: Mm. it's a lot safer
1: yeah yeah (laughs) that's that's real i I never knew that you studied astrophysics that's interesting um but yeah because i was not like super i mean like any science fiction fan i you know i like space and and stuff but i wasn't the kind of person who like like memorized all the Mm -hmm. apollo missions or the names of all the astronauts or anything like that so um but but this show like but even as a somewhat casual fan of the space program um Mm. this show just i found it really moving i mean i watched like you know, half the episodes just with tears in my eyes. There's yeah. just something, like, about the... It really captures the the romance of the space mm-hmm. program. And it was funny, And you the know.
0: dramatic heroics. Jesus,
1: like...
2: Yeah.
3: <laughs> well, it's just so masterfully done. I mean, there might be shows that are sometimes more exciting or fun, like Foundation, you know, kind of space opera. But this show is just so damn good. I mean... I've been saying for two or three years, it's probably the best show on TV. And it's not the Mm -hmm. first time we've said that about a Ron Moore show. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think that guy's got
1: potential. (laughs) <laughs> he's going. He's going places. That yeah, guy. Um, yeah. And it was it was interesting too because my my wife. I mean, she didn't watch the show with me because I like watch twenty five hours in four days or something like that, and she yeah. had other stuff to do. But but she would walk through the room, and she's not also she's not like not a huge fan of like outer space kind of science fiction. Mm-hmm. But she's like this. I, this show seems really interesting. She's like this is the kind of show I would watch because you know it starts off with this fairly realistic you know worlds of the kind of the seventies kind of era. Um, and then, you know, so so if you're you know, if you're someone who's put off by just like super science fiction stuff, you know, it kind of like eases you into it. And then, you know, um, by the time you're hooked, then the the, yeah. the fusion <laughs> reactors and all that kind of stuff starts <laughs> yeah. starts coming in. <laughs>
3: Right. And it's fascinating how they keep, you know, at least initially, you know, all, a lot of stuff that happened in reality, they reference or they kind of go in a slightly different direction. And of course, as the show goes on, we veer more and more away from from the sacred timeline, so to speak. But um, <laughs> actually, can I talk about one of my few criticisms? Because well, there's actually-
4: nothing... Well, actually, oh, okay.
1: before we get into criticism, I want to. Well, actually, let me just say. I mean, so I, I basically don't have any criticisms of this show. I, I basically thought it was perfect. I mean, maybe I could quibble about a couple of things, but I, I basically loved it. If you're just listening to this and want to know whether you should watch the show yeah. or whatever, it's like definitely, yeah, go watch it and then come back and listen to the rest of this. Um, but I want, I want to get Sarah back in here too. So, so Sarah, do you do you share my enthusiasm for the show or, or or not?
2: Oh yeah, I mean, I grew up on like. I would repeat watch movies like The Right Stuff. Mm, mm. And, you know, because I found it all just so comforting. And it's the same thing that I I went through a phase, I think, when I was homeschooled, uh, where I was reading all about polar exploration history and I got really into Ernest Shackleton. Like, I had a crush on this man. (laughs) How can you not? (laughs) Um, (laughs) And, you know, it was very nerdy Sarah homeschooling, you know, having a crush on a, a dead man in hmm. in a book you know it's a very black and white photograph um but you know these sort of i always been very attracted to you know these people living in just extreme conditions mm. and there was something wonderful about being curled up in my bed you know reading about these men enduring this horrible isolating freezing frostbitten experience In from the comfort of my bed. (laughs) And there was something really comforting about that. And the same thing, I felt the same thing about space documentaries. And that kind of launched me concurrently, you know, with growing up on Star Trek. So
1: yeah, let me just say
2: felt like those things were tied together.
1: Yeah. Let me just say, if anyone listening doesn't know who Ernest Shackleton is, he was a a polar explorer. And so the, the Shackleton crater in this show is named after him. Um, yeah. or, you know, that's on the moon. It's named after him. Huh. Um, but there was this awesome. Maybe you could um reproduce it, Sarah, better than I can. But he he put this ad in the newspaper for people <laughs> to join his expedition, and it says something yeah. like, "Um,
2: men you know, wanted bitter cold, okay. <laughs> uh, certain death. Like, you know, <laughs> basically like, hey, you if you wanna if you if you're not afraid of death and you know coming out and being in the cold, then and you might die, then join my expedition, huh. and." You know, his his story was so, like, I think the reason why he's the most famous uh polar explorer is because, you know, he kept all of his men alive. He was trapped, you know, in the ice, uh, living on the ice for two years uh, while World War I was going on in, in the rest of the world and brought every single one of his men home, which was extraordinary, you know, for that time. And so you know, a lot of the people who got to the pole first are not anywhere near as well known because of that human interest story of of survival. And so, you know, the whole thing, like whenever I talk to somebody who has not seen For All Mankind, I always say, how do you, how did you feel about Apollo 13, the movie? Mm, mm-hmm. If you loved Apollo 13 and you want to have that experience over and over and over mm. again, <laughs> this is the show for you.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know okay. uh, those 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 guys trapped in the ice with Shackleton. That was probably the safest place they could have been in the world. If the you know World War One was going on at the time, they probably would have been fighting over in that. I
2: know so. a few of them survived it only to be killed in the war because they joined uh, the war uh, just after they got They back should have been and... trapped a little longer. <laughs> I know.
1: Also, oh. if
3: you really loved Apollo eighteen, the movie, then this show mm. is not for you.
1: <laughs> 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 Um, but so, so, so Sarah, are you bas- but do you basically have no criticism or do you have some criticisms that we're going to get to?
2: I mean, there's little nitpicky things, uh, in various episodes where I'm mm. like, well, the willing suspension of disbelief was definitely mm. employed there, things like that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they're so minor with each thing. I remember feeling those criticisms, you know, sort of float to the surface, but I can't think of a single example of any mm-hmm. of them. So that's a good yeah. sign.
0: And John,
1: are you like with us or do you have any like big? Criticisms? Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. No, no, I absolutely love the show. I, I don't I can't really think of any criticisms that I would levy. Uh, um, You know, I mean, if I'm really being critical, like I know I commented on like the performance of this one minor actor in the show where I was like, you know, this this person is just not really quite up to snuff with the rest of this amazing cast. But, you know, you know, I also don't want to just be mean to that one person.
2: Well, yeah. now we all want to know who it is. <laughs> <laughs> I mean,
0: okay. Well, it's it's just like the kid who plays. Um, uh, uh, what, what? Jesus Christ! I just watched twenty hours of the show. What is uh, uh Is it Baldwin? Danny or
2: Shane?
0: No, no, no. Uh, uh, the one that pl- yeah, Shane. The one that plays young Shane. Um, okay. Like that kid is not the best actor. You know, to be fair, he doesn't have a whole lot to work with in the show that we see him. But um, isn't there only a young Shane? I guess there's only a young (laughs) Shane. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fair point. Fair point. Yeah. (laughs) Oh oh, well, no, no, no. Well, because there's a teenage Shane and there's the young, young Shane, like the sort of I don't know middle grade Shane or whatever. Oh, I didn't even um, I didn't
1: notice that. All right.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's a different, there's a different kid that plays like the younger version and then the teenage version that actually, well, spoiler alert ends up getting uh, hit by a car and dies. Um, but, um, but yeah, you know, just the younger one. I, I felt like, you know, not really enough okay. snuff. Right, you know, well, I'll so-
3: admit I completely forgot. Shane was ever a character. Ha! No, until I revisited season one for this podcast, I it's so long ago, and it doesn't really factor into the show later that much.
1: Really, man? Because like, I was I was going to say like, this is not a criticism. This is just sort of, Mm -hmm. but it is a bit of a caveat. Is that I feel like if you're told this is like Soviets versus the United States on the moon, Mm -hmm. you might be picturing sort of a fun Mm -hmm. show that you're going to come home after work and unwind watching Mm the the antics of the you know of the space Mm -hmm. adventure kind of stuff. And this show is like often an emotionally grueling experience mm-hmm. to watch mm-hmm. and yeah, yeah. and like no more so for me than, than that part where the um some of the main characters have their son yeah you know hit by a car and brain dead and then mm-hmm. die and like it was it was really yeah. I mean it was really it, but it was um it was and their so characters emotionally affecting. with
2: that for for each, like, they continue to grapple with that, mm-hmm. right? It affects their entire character arc of both characters. It affects their marriage and everything. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, so, um, but it's, I mean, it's, like, effective because it's so well done, so that's not a criticism, yeah. but I'm just saying, like, if if that's not your, mm-hmm. you know, if not, that's not your bag, watching characters really, really suffering, That that's uh-huh. the only, like, big, like, yeah. warning I might give people who are thinking about watching the show. Yeah. Um. Okay, but so, Raphael, so what was your... uh Big criticism that you wanted to mention?
3: Well, it's funny. For once, my background as a musician kind of ties into this, huh. and there's really nothing they can do about this. But oh, as yeah. the timelines start to diverge from reality... Mm-hmm. um you know, they, they use a lot of uh, specific songs from certain years to tie into the show to create the the mood. And, and I dig that. But also, those songs wouldn't exist anymore. They would be different. Mm-hmm. They should be mm-hmm. slightly different. Like uh, Come As You Are by Nirvana. Mm-hmm. That song wouldn't exist in this new timeline. It would be slightly different, you know, mm-hmm. because music is a reflection of the times and culture. Yeah,
0: that's fair. Yeah, I mean, actually, now that you say that, that would have actually been a really interesting thing to, you know, to, to you know, get some get some bands or whatever that could like play in the style of, of various real bands and then try to, you know, come up with variations on one of the songs or, um, you know, uh, or Absolutely. even just like even just do like a fake song that like, you know. Uh, that sounds like them, but it's not them.
3: No, totally. Um, I mean, criticism is probably too strong a word, but in the yeah. perfect version of this show, they would have had the extra money to hire bands to make fake songs in yeah, the yeah. style of the times.
4: <laughs> yeah.
0: No, I mean, that would have been amazing. Or, or I mean, actually, even, even if you could have just done like the slight tweaking to songs, like you're saying, like where like, you know, maybe that song would exist, but it wouldn't be exactly the same. And, and like, see, like, how many people actually even notice, you mm-hmm. know, because, like, like, a real Nirvana fan obviously would notice, but, like, someone who's just a casual fan, like, maybe you wouldn't even notice. Absolutely. Um, so And I guess,
3: you know, it's tough to do in the case of yeah. Nirvana specifically because you can't right. get approval. But, you yeah. know, if they could get approval ah. and, like, the artists were okay with yeah. tweaking the songs just a little bit, like the inflection yeah. and the way it's sung or something. You yeah. know. Yeah.
0: Actually, I wonder if uh, I wonder if they'll subtly just have Kurt Cobain uh live um, in, in once we get to the in the well no I guess I I don't remember because I've already seen season three but um you know because the end of season two we see that we're going to the nineties and and that's when the Come As You Are song starts playing so right um, at the very you know, end of season two yeah, I believe yeah. yeah. Yeah, so right, I guess well, they probably don't make any reference to it because I don't remember. Right, it, no, but... no
1: spoil, no spoilers well, for season three.
0: Whether or not Kurt Cobain <laughs> lived is not really relevant to this show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think they've
3: established it yet, so you never know. <laughs> He's going to be but,
0: president in season five. You know? I mean it's like.
1: <laughs> but but I mean, well, I mean what you're saying though, Raphael, about the timelines should be diverging. I mean that's true of everything in related to the alternate history, right? It's like with with yeah. the same people have been pre- I mean like they changed it around yeah. a little bit but it's like would Reagan still have been president yeah. or like whatever like mm-hmm. you know that's sort of an open question you right. know like it would these ripples you know spread through through time I mean uh I, I heard a really intre- I was I saw a panel years ago it was uh, for the Wild Cards Shared World Superhero Anthology series which you know had started in I think the first story takes place in World War 2 or something and then yeah. you know yeah, it boy. it goes yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it goes from there. And so, um and Daniel Abraham was one of the writers, and he was saying that he thought at the point he joined that the alternate history had diverged too much from reality and kind of become too much its own things to the point mm. where you couldn't really it, it felt just a little sort of disconnected from real life. Mm. And so he made the argument that they needed to bring it back closer mm. to the actual timeline. And he he had this analogy I thought was really striking where he said he thought it should be like the 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 double helix of DNA where the the real timeline and the alternate timeline sort of spiraled around each other and stayed, you know, within sight of each other without while still being distinct from each other
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and... maybe nirvana is the same in every universe man yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> it's possible it is possible but so, no, i, I but, think i but, think the show does a great job of, of keeping things pretty similar just mm-hmm. ever so slightly different yeah but yeah. so I,
1: th- I think that's a legitimate um question to ask like wouldn't things just diverge more and more over time but i think just sort of like for the mm-hmm. sake of the audience i think maybe yeah. we just want to want it to sure. not be too different you know no to, to I, me yeah, it just
3: became a really interesting thing to think about as a thought exercise cuz you know art is inherently political or so they mm-hmm. say mine isn't mine mine is just you know whatever <laughs> <laughs> i mean you know there's nothing political about a yeti eating people but um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah you know if you if you do believe that then of course yeah movies and tv shows and, and music would be very different over mm-hmm. time
1: I mean, um, yeah, but it was making me – this alternate history aspect was making me sort of think about is this like the greatest alternate history TV show of all mm-hmm. time? And so I um, yeah. I Googled alternate history TV shows and there was a surprisingly small number of them yeah, that came yeah. up. Um, sort of the, 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 the first two that came up in addition to this one were The Man in the High Castle and yeah. The Plot Against America. Um, oh, I, I never
0: saw th- – plot against America but yeah
1: yeah i haven't seen I read the, the it's based on a Philip Roth novel, which yeah, I did yeah. read, but um I haven't re- seen the t v show, but I would say this is definitely better than both of those yeah um so well,
0: uh man in the high Castle was like fantastic, I thought the first season, but then like I don't know, I kind of lost like I, I I don't know if it just lost what it was doing well or if if I just got disconnected from it, but like I don't know, I, I quit watching it at some point, I don't know if it ever got its footing again or people of people continue to like it but um i guess if it's coming up on a a list of the best um but you know how many are there though (laughs) you know there were only
1: this is i just googled it and it brought up like 10 or so 10 or 11 really and uh, most of them were not really yeah alternate history in my opinion i mean sort of Mm -hmm. maybe but but not really not like this is.
0: yeah i'd be curious to see what else is on the list because it's like yeah i can't I, i couldn't really um Well, do you have have access to Google? (laughs) No, I I know I will look it up later, but I'm just saying, I'm not going to do it right now because we're doing a panel and you don't like the sound of clicky clacking keyboards in the background.
1: No, that's true. That's true. I appreciate that. But so I'll I'll throw that out there. Does anybody, does everyone share the perception? Does
0: everyone have Google or, oh,
1: no. No, no. Does everyone share the perception that this is the greatest alternate history TV show or or is there something else that anyone
2: yeah, I mean, we, 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 we were talking about that. The only one I could think of was, you know, Man in the High Castle. Mm. And I do think that this is tighter than that show. But I also really like the fact that the stuff that they did change, you know, seemed very relevant to the changes that were that had been put in place. Like, you know, the it's, it's blink and you'll miss it. But they talk about how uh, Chernobyl... Uh, was avoided because of technology developed in the space program and how, because we had, you know, more advanced uh, technology that, you know, this didn't happen. This horrible Mm -hmm. disaster that was very real in our world did not happen and was narrowly avoided. And then they, they like show you, you know, one of the original like MTV advertisements where there's like an astronaut with the MTV logo. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when that,
0: I think
2: that might be in no. Three. That's in season. That's in season. I think it's the end of season one when they, you know, oh, s- they maybe, go yeah. back and they say, oh, we're, you know, we're in the eighties now or whatever. Oh, okay. But um, or it could be the first episode of season two. But you know, what's funny about that the MTV logo is I remember that logo, but in the context of this show, I see that logo completely differently. Hmm. So same logo, but different perception because of everything that we know about mm. this you know, particular history.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's, like it's like a person on the moon with the flag, right? Isn't that yeah. what it is? Yeah. Hmm.
3: Yeah. That is interesting. That's a great point.
0: Yeah, good point. Yeah.
1: I mean, um, I guess this is another semi-caveat, I guess, very mild, is that I feel like to really enjoy this show to its fullest, you have to have a pretty comprehensive knowledge of history, of the relevant time periods. Hmm. And I feel like a lot of people – um, you know, like 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 one of my favorite things is that um uh Teddy Kennedy doesn't yeah. go to Chappaquiddick and so therefore there's not this whole scandal and so therefore he becomes president. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if you didn't I feel like there's a big percentage of the audience under thirty that has never heard of any of this stuff and yeah, are sort yeah. of missing oh, for sure. missing out. For you sure. know, like they'll just yeah. hear like Ted Kennedy cancelled his trip to Chappaquiddick and it right. doesn't mean anything to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I mean,
0: I think that's, that's certainly true for every alternate history that exists. And that's the, one of the challenges for that genre. Um, I I felt like this show worked pretty well in that regard, although maybe it's just because I just happened to, you know, live, I've been alive for most of it. And uh, I, you know, I, I have been a fan of the space program, so I was sort of more likely to know a lot of that stuff. And then, you know, just all the other stuff was just sort of important world stuff. So like, you know, if you were alive, you probably, you know. Uh, we're aware of some of that stuff, but um, I thought they did a really good job of, of like filling in the gaps uh, that you might have had with like, you know, some of the um, sort of like fake, uh, like, you know, sort of news conference things. And mm-hmm. like, you know, the chatter between like, you know, uh, you know, presidents and and whatever, like all that kind of stuff. Um, maybe 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 one minor caveat is that they kind of maybe leaned on some of that too much, like especially like in the, the fir- first episode, like um, I feel like there was a little bit. It felt like a little bit much of that, but like, you know, to be honest, like most shows would have like given us this whole pointless like prologue bullshit that would have like just been interminable and and or and or like made us read a bunch of like slides, um, and so like the fact that they just trusted us enough to just give us what they gave us, uh, I appreciated.
3: They really build off uh, real-world history in satisfying ways. You yeah. Know, like, for instance, uh, the story and the episode Nixon's Women, you know, that built on the real-life Mercury 13 program. Ron Moore took inspiration from that. Like, in reality, it didn't get off the ground, but in this version. And you know what? To answer your question about other alternate history shows, I think this one is unique in one very interesting way. It's the only one we've seen where it presents a better world.
4: hmm
0: Yeah. So-
3: so I think that does kind of make yeah. it the best one. <laughs> hmm.
0: Well, and Boy. I think, um, um, you know, one of the things that a lot of alternate history shows uh, or a lot of alternate history stories uh, do is like they they really fixate on like the Civil War or like World War II. Like these are like these big decision points in the world that that is very easy to draw these like, uh, you know, wildly different, um, you know, uh, uh, worlds to, to, you know, diverge from. Um, but with this, I feel like, this is like a really fresh way of of doing an alternate history like I mean it's not the first time I have seen other things that have done like alternate history uh associated with sort of space program stuff um and unfortunately um for the author alan smale he he actually wrote a book that was very similar to this like right around the time that um this show was coming out um and uh so I mean he did sell it and it is available. I think it's called Hot moon or it was called Hot Moon at some point he may have changed the title, but um you know uh so. You know, it would have probably seemed much more revolutionary if the show had not come out around the same time.
1: Yeah. But but so I didn't I didn't realize, John, that you were that into the space program. So did you like what would tell us a little bit about your space uh, program? Yeah, I mean,
0: uh, so my grandparents were uh, really into it. And so like they took me to Kennedy Space Center a couple times when I was a kid. And like, you know, I lived in Florida when I was, um, you know, from like age nine Till like, you know, 20 something when I, when I went off to college after I graduated college. Um, and so, you know, I went to Kennedy Space Center several times, um, you know, uh, watched a bunch of like launches, just, you know, going outside and seeing launches and stuff. Um, and then um, actually this, this sort of happened randomly, but like when I met my wife, Christy, uh, she lived in uh, Lompo, California. And so I ended up moving there and Lompoc, California is home of Vandenberg air force base, which is mentioned in the show because they launch a lot of rockets from there. Um, and so, um, you know, as I was living in Lompoc, we got to watch a lot of rocket launches like real up close. Um, and, uh, so yeah, that was, that was really cool too. But, um, you know, it, it had never been like a thing where I was like, uh, like a student of it, but, um, it has sort of been a lifelong interest of mine. Um, and, um, You know, I didn't I didn't ever think I was going to be an astronaut. Um, I thought I probably did want to be at some point when I was a kid. I never realistically thought I was going to be as I got older. But um, I did like study astronomy at some point and thought that like, oh, like this would be a really interesting thing to go into. But um, math was too hard.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, maybe <laughs> – I, I was just thinking this morning, maybe part of the reason I was never that into wanting to be an astronaut or and that st- kind of stuff is, like, I don't even like roller coasters. So <laughs> <Yeah>. the <laughs> idea that I would ever be an astronaut was pretty, like, not in the cards from a very early yeah, yeah. age. Um, but actually, so I have here – this is the list of um, characters in the show who are, like, real astronauts and stuff like that. Oh. Um, so it says, uh, including Apollo 11 astronauts Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin and Michael Collins, Mercury 7 astronaut Deke Slayton, rocket scientist Werner von Braun, astronaut Sally Ride, NASA administrator Thomas Paine, NASA flight director Gene Kranz, uh, U.S. Senators Ted Kennedy and Gary Hart, <laughs> I forgot about that, yeah, along with U.S. presidents Richard Nixon, Jimmy Carter, Ronald Reagan, George H.W. Bush and Bill Clinton. Um, so, so John, were, how familiar yeah. were you with the, uh, the NASA people that, that, that are real people in this show?
0: Yeah, I, I knew, I mean, I knew a lot of them that you just said, uh, I don't think I knew the name of Deke Slayton. Um, I'm not sure if there's any other ones that you said that I didn't know, but I, yeah, I didn't know, I didn't know Deke Slayton. I, I mean, I didn't know. And then the administrator, Tom Payne, I, I didn't know his name. Um, uh, but yeah, I knew, I knew most of those people. Um, so so, and what there are some think?
3: also that are based on real people. Like Molly Cobb's character is based yeah. on Jerry Cobb, who could have mm-hmm. been the first woman. She uh, passed the Mercury. Thir- thir- she was in Mercury 13 and passed the same pre flight tests.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Okay. She is one of the best characters. In- I mean, they're all good, yeah. in my opinion. I, but yeah. She, she's fantastic. Right, right.
2: I love them so much. <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, do you want to talk more about that, Sarah? Like, what did you think of those? Uh, like, like, Molly Cobb and, and the other characters?
2: I mean, it's just. It- it's such a refreshing character the way that she's written and uh it's it's just such a real person like she mm-hmm. absolutely 100% feels like a real person as does her husband and the way that their whole relationship works um you know uh that completely completely buy it everything about it because in order for their relationship to work in that time period it would have to be a little bit countercultural and they would have to embrace those things and celebrate those things about themselves.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And so I absolutely love, you know, those, those two characters.
1: Yeah. If, if, for people, if you haven't seen the show, she's this very like acerbic um, astronaut and, you know, I, I think there's a part fairly uh, near the point where we're introduced to aware, you know, she's like, ah, oh, they'll find a way to screw us yet. You know, yeah. just wait for it. You know, yeah. she's, uh, yeah, sort of has and I sort love
2: of... that that Karen ends up like getting therapy from Wayne. Yeah. Like, I <laughs> would have never put those two characters together in my... But as soon as I saw what they were doing with that, I was like, oh my God, this makes perfect sense because she's mm-hmm. so high strung mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. she desperately needs a Wayne in her life. She desperately yeah. needs a
1: Wayne <laughs> Yeah, so, so just, I mean, there's a lot of characters. I don't know if we have time yeah. to really go too deep into, into them. But so some of the major characters, you've got Ed Baldwin, uh and then his wife tracy or no sorry his wife karen baldwin and then you've got his buddy who's sort of the like lovable goofball gordo stevens and his wife tracy stevens uh who's sort of more more sort of driven and um you know ambitious and then uh you've got wait i have a list here ellen right man there's so many characters (laughs) hold on
0: yeah ellen waverly who becomes (laughs) ellen wilson
1: um... I gotta
2: say, for a show with this many, you know, characters, and and especially over the course of several seasons, uh, some of those, you know, go away and then some come mm-hmm. back, they do such a great job with character development, you know, mm-hmm. You, you, mm-hmm. very few characters, if any, ever feel like they're just there to provide filler or there to provide something else for the main characters, you know, that's a wonderful achievement.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, so you've got so so Ellen is sort of a, a closeted gay woman in this, you know, especially the earlier uh mm-hmm. seasons where it's like very um, you know, stressful to to be a, a gay person in in government. Uh you have Marco Madison who's uh sort of, you know, becomes a flight director and I don't know, she's a complicated character. I don't know if I can <laughs> sum her up too quickly. Yeah. <laughs> um, you got Danielle Poole uh danny stevens alita rosales so yeah and they're all yeah like in my opinion all really well Mm -hmm. well drawn well developed characters and i guess one of the things i really like about the show is that um there's a lot of moral complexity to what Mm -hmm. goes on and it's not afraid to have characters do you know to risk having the audience dislike them you Mm -hmm. know like like ed has (laughs) serious anger management issues you know um there's just all sorts of stuff uh That just feels very, you know, very real in terms of just how, how the characters like fuck up and are put through the ringer and stuff like that.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, but speaking, speaking of, uh, you know, just the list of characters and then like, you know, mentioning, uh, Danny Poole, um, like, I guess one other criticism I would have is that I wish they had more black characters on the show. Like there are some other ones besides, um, besides Danny, but like, she's the only, uh, like important, like astronaut figure in the show. That's, uh, that's black. Um, And uh, so I just I kind of wish that they had uh, incorporated more, uh, you know, you know, more black characters. Um, I think I think it gets better in season three, but I don't remember for sure because I didn't rewatch that season. But, um, you know, for for season one, season two, it's very, very few characters. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. Although I guess it's like like Raphael was saying that this is a better future. So one thing that's noteworthy is that, you know, in this in actual history, there were no female astronauts at all, you know, in this time period. So they're kind of like,
2: yeah. One of the things I was half looking for is, you know, like, I, I I know why they didn't do it, if anyone thought about doing it, because it would it would have been way too high profile and almost silly. But I couldn't help but think about how when Hillary Clinton was a little girl, like seven mm. years old, she wrote a letter to NASA saying, I would like to be an astronaut. Oh. <laughs> and they mailed her back a, I'm sorry, but you're a girl. You know, it sucks for it to be you, basically, and that experience shaped her. You know, mm. in terms of uh, who she who she became, and mm-hmm. so I was kind of like hoping that there would be some little nod somewhere in there that Hillary Clinton became <laughs> an astronaut instead of yeah, you know, yeah becoming a lawyer and having this whole legal career and and all of that. But mm-hmm. you know, I think that also something like that would be really hard to pull mm. off without being silly.
0: They could have totally done that just like on the sly by just like <laughs> making one of those letters that they read to the astronauts like be by like, you know, signed by Hillary. Um yeah. you know, mm-hmm. uh and with and without the negative part, like, you know, you wouldn't necessarily even connect it because like, you know, the female astronaut that's literally being read the letter to uh like would just reply uh and, and say something that that the that you know the author would hear. Um yeah. so yeah, that that could have been a little clever little Easter egg. For
3: sure. They could have done that in a really subtle way, any number of ways. Just even had, like, H, Clinton in, like, a, a computer <laughs> yeah. screen on a roster. Or, <laughs> yeah. like,
1: Hillary, Hillary yeah. Rodham. I mean, it could have been, you know, yeah yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Since right, since it's Rodham, an alternate yeah, yeah. history. Um, how about Raphael? Is there anything, like, anything jump out at you about any of those characters that you want to mention?
3: You know, um... I guess, you know, Ed Baldwin is a fantastic character and, you know, kind mm-hmm. of just the all American guy, but, you know, Joel Kinnaman plays him with a lot of complexity. And like you said, the temper, but you love him for all his faults and everything. And I think he and Karen, especially in season two, you know, I love the addition of their daughter and it's a really great family dynamic and, um, you know, really pays off and, you know, I, I think Shant- Chantal Van Santen does such a fantastic job as Karen. I really enjoyed seeing her character change and evolve over time. And, um, oh, yeah, I don't know. I guess speaking of Ellen, yeah. I love her character arc. And I can't say mm-hmm. too much yet, but I think, like, the fact that she's gay and she has mm-hmm. to hide it for a while. I mean, I think even in season one, when she's with Deke, that's, like, a really interesting scene when they're stuck in the capsule. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then um, I think my God, favorite so moment... Great like emotionally in season one is just her and Ed being able to connect, like when he's able to successfully rein her in. And that's just such a great moment towards the end of season mm-hmm. one.
0: Oh, but speaking of speaking of the moment with uh, Deke and Ellen in, in, in season one, that's in episode 10. And so like, that's the season finale. So the season finale is on this show, man. Mm-hmm. See, the, <laughs> like episode 10 and episode 20, like the two season finales, they're so good. Yeah. Like, yeah. Man, like, if you had told me that they were gonna top the season one finale with the season two finale, I would have told you you were crazy. <laughs> there's like, there's no way. But man, they're so good. They're so, like so dramatic and like so just like sort of original and like, like just like edge of your seat, like kind of TV. Like, it, they're incredible. Um, yeah. and then, they, but then they also have these moments, like like what Raphael's talking about, these like important character moments, these quiet character moments between just two characters. Ah, oh, it was so good.
1: Although that yeah. does, yeah, that, I mean, that the um season two finale did, like, fulfill my lifelong dream of just wanting to see, like, astronauts with M-16s. Yeah. You know, that, like, why has <laughs> yeah, nobody yeah, ever yeah. given me that before?
4: <laughs> yeah. Um,
1: although that does remind me of one other criticism I have, and I don't think there's really anything they could have done about this, but it was mm-hmm. bugging, me, bugging me a little bit how there's, like, moon gravity outside, but then when they go into the lunar oh, base, yeah. it seems to be just Earth gravity, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, I I think it would just be too expensive to try to do it. But I I do, like, someday I do want to see a a movie set on the moon where there's actual like low gravity inside as well as outside.
0: Yeah, Yeah, that's true. I didn't think about that. That's true.
1: Yeah, Um,
3: actually, I'm embarrassed to say I never thought about that either. I kind (laughs) of, I guess, I thought they must have had some kind of science fictional explanation.
4: (laughs) Yeah,
0: I don't feel like. I mean, there was no mention of like artificial
1: gravity or anything. I mean, maybe I missed it, or there's some. Reference to it, but um, I think it was just a production, yeah, thing.
0: I mean, I think, yeah, I think if anything, they would have like magnetic boots or something, like so that you know the floor would be just made of metal, so that they, you know, it, but still, like, yeah, there, there'd be visual, there'd be a visual, uh a, a thing that you could observe that if they were actually trying to act like there was lunar gravity, but yeah, they don't do that on, right they inside.
3: Because even with um, magnetic boots, their coffee cup, coffee, yeah, will be yeah, spilling yeah, out. yeah,
0: yeah, um, but so, uh, just to continue on with the, like the praise for the season two finale, like, like, okay, well, first of all, like, I love the character arc of Tracy Stevens. Like, you know, she starts off, she's just the wife of Gordo Stevens, the astronaut. Um, and then, um, you know, she gets recruited for the, you know, the female space program, you know, among, you know, Nixon's women as the episode's called. Um, and, um, like, she just goes on, like, to such a fascinating trajectory. Like, in, by season two, it's like she's like a fucking rock star astronaut. Like, you know, <laughs> she's going on, she's going on the talk shows, hanging out with, like, Johnny Carson and stuff. Like, and, um, you know, uh, and really kind of, like, almost becoming Gordo Stevens, like, in, in his excesses. <laughs> like, you know, she's, uh, like, getting drunk and, like, sort of sleeping through meetings and stuff. Um, but, um, but then by the end, it's like her and Gordo get back together, like, Kind of uh, right at the end and then they have to do this fucking epic heroic thing. Like, oh my god. And that was and like the fact that Ron Moore worked on Star Trek is like very, very like you can see the fingerprints all over this part because it's like them doing that jury rig shit, that is so Star Trek. Like, um, let's let's put in a word for the the real hero. (laughs)
1: Let's put in a word for the real hero here, duct
0: tape. Right. (laughs) Yes, duct tape, yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Uh should we should we spell out exactly what it is cuz it's so fucking dope? Yeah, I don't yeah, know if sorry. we should or if we, okay. So no, sorry, no, um so like there so the Soviets attacked the 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 Jamestown base on the moon um and uh, there's this depressurization thing and um the the Americans had snuck this like secret reactor up there to enrich plutonium on the moon because of course they did. Um and so uh when the depressurization event happens the reactor goes offline and so they're like, "Well, Uh, the entire thing is going to melt down in like 41 minutes if we don't do something about it. And unfortunately, you know, like, so, uh, there wasn't much anyone could do about it, but Gordo and Tracy are stuck in this, uh, in the original Jamestown base. They had expanded a lot. Now it's the galley. Um, and they were sort of illicitly in there, sort of like, she was smoking cigarettes, like using a vacuum thing, whatever, to like try to hide it, but whatever. So they're having this, like, they're like reconnecting. They're stuck in there you know this thing happens right they um then they realize that they can communicate with uh the old the old uh like communication system which had just sort of been you know unplugged for all this time since they upgraded this place and so they're able to communicate with NASA and they give them some instructions and they they're like, hey, we know what all of the all of the, uh, the stuff that's in the galley is. And so, like, let's get all our big brains at NASA on it and see what we can figure out. And so what they figure out is that they can basically cover every inch of them with duct tape. So they basically make spacesuits out of duct tape because that's what they had. And they have like some kind of face mask that they can put on them. Um and it's like they explain the excruciating detail, like you know like oh well, like you know any any bit of your skin that is exposed is just gonna balloon and like you know, and it just sounds like completely awful, and like you can see like the angst on their face as they're being explained what's happening what what what's gonna happen to them, and they have like fifteen seconds to to get from where they are to where this uh you know control panel is on the outside, and it's just like so intense and it, it's just incredible, um. And, yeah, just, like, props to them for, like, even coming up with that shit. Well, um, well right. Well, I
1: mean, th- even with all the science fiction and space movies yeah. and stuff I've seen, there's still stuff in this show where it's like, seems fresh and yeah, you know, surprising. Yeah. Like, the part where they throw – like, they have to get, like, a tank of something to from one oh, spaceship yes. to the other. And so they're yes, like, you're going to have amazing. to just yeah. throw it, you know? Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. yeah. That was <laughs> so my great. My favorite moments. Yeah. But, yeah, because the show is rooted in reality to a pretty high degree – that was a tremendous sequence because you pretty much knew Tracy and Gordo were going to die. There was yeah. really no version of that because it, it would just, in any other TV show, maybe they would just be in the med bay for a couple days and be okay. Yeah. But no, it's like, this is for all mankind. Come on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. We're
1: moving on to the nineties, got to kill off some of these people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I want to get Sarah back in here. Sarah, is there anything you've been wanting to say or any other characters or um, scenes or anything that you wanted to highlight?
2: You know, I just – I think that one of the things that I loved about Tracy and Gordo is that their relationship is really complex because there mm-hmm. were times that, you know, you would be forgiven to dismiss Gordo as just sort of this 1970s fuckboy, <laughs> uh, you know, that it, that is just very self-interested and is going to lose Tracy, obviously, and she's way too good for him and all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. But then he starts doing all of this tender shit like – He's genuinely really proud of her when she mm-hmm. is able to get through the, the training program. Uh, he sort of gives her the tough love moment when she's thinking about quitting and, you know, just straight up tells her she's being a coward. And so they have this very genuine, very real, you know, egalitarian uh, relationship, even though obviously Gordo has a lot of problems that ultimately leads to, you know, them being apart for a bit. But, you know, and Tracy herself is also super complex because you know you would think that she's one way and then like the the thing when when Karen's uh son dies when Ed is up on the moon by himself she is you know Tracy is just so kind to her she is 100% there for her and she's sort of the one that cares the most of all of the you know the sort of astronauts wives that are surrounding Karen at that time she's being the most genuine and then she's you know completely Um, pushing off her other responsibilities and the things that she needs to do in order to be there for Karen. And so, you know, I just, I love the fact that these characters, you know, every time you think that you're going to write them off as some kind of caricature, you're wrong. And they're going to come back around and be real again in a new way and in a refreshing way. And I absolutely love that about this show.
3: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Can I talk about one of my favorite moments real quick, which yeah. is because um, one of the things that, you know, I would have found really hard to do is uh, speaking of Gordo, when essentially he's having, you know, a mental breakdown and uh, Ed decides he needs to go back to Earth. Danielle deliberately breaks her arm. Yeah. To provide yeah. the reason for that. I was like, wow. <laughs> you know, I don't know if I could actually do that. Yeah. if I had to.
2: Yeah. And then she pays for it. Yeah. It's not like, you know, secretly everybody knows what happened and it's Mm -hmm. fine and it's okay. Like she continues to pay for that decision for multiple seasons.
3: You know, also, I I did love that Ed just got stuck on the moon alone. And then, of course, Ellen is on the moon alone. And
4: Mm
3: -hmm. I don't know, sometimes as a writer, I think that would be pretty fantastic.
0: (laughs) (laughs) They get a lot of work done up there.
3: Yeah. You know, I mean, talk about finally some peace and quiet.
0: Yeah, and nothing but nothing but episodes of Bob, the Bob Newhart show. I mean, like you know, yeah. You, of course, you're going to focus on your work. Like you know, get sick of that real fast.
1: Okay, um, actually, yeah. have you guys heard how this show came about? Because this has the most amazing origin story for a science no. fiction show you've ever heard. No, nobody heard this. No. uh uh-uh. Okay, nothing so
2: matching that build up, Dave. So okay, <laughs> tell us. So,
1: so there's this this real life astronaut named Garrett Reisman, and so he was on the International Space Station. And he was watching Battlestar Galactica. You know, like in, huh. in his downtime, he was watching Battlestar Galactica. And so one of the perks of being a, a, a NASA astronaut mm-hmm. is they say, are there any celebrities you want to talk to while you're yeah, yeah. up in space? And so he says, oh, I'd love to talk to the guys who created um, Battlestar Galactica. And so, mm-hmm. so NASA kind of set up a like a Skype call with uh, yeah. Ron Moore and David Icke. And so, so they talked. And then when um, Garrett Reisman came back to Earth... Uh, he went and watched them film the last episode of Battlestar Galactica and had like a, like a bit part he had to watch in it. that one
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> He was very tactful about uh, about it. Um but so anyway, so so he kind of got to know um Ron Moore through that. And then years later Ron Moore, you know, calls him or emails him or whatever and says, you know, I have an idea I'd like to bounce off you and so they meet up And and Ron Moore says yeah. So I'd like to. I'm thinking about doing a show about NASA in the '70s, um, or maybe make it like an alternate um, history thing where we start off that way, but then it like diverges from actual history. Mm -hmm. Like it's like one or the other. And um, and so Garrett Reisman says, well, you know, like when I was in Russia, I saw their lander you know, their lunar lander that they built that they never used. And he's like, most people don't realize how close the Russians actually came to beating us to the moon. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. they started talking about like, well, what if that had happened? Like, then this yeah. would have happened and this would have happened. And so that's, you know, where the, the show's origin was. And then he actually hired um Garrett Reisman to be their technical consultant for the show. Mm. So that's he's incredible. been...
4: incredible.
3: he's That's been, awesome. fantastic. And I was just about to say, <laughs> I, can't I, believe I haven't he's heard got of some this. credit.
0: yeah,
2: <laughs> That's an incredible... That is absolutely incredible.
0: Yeah, so, so wait, he's been... So wait, they- they hired a technical expert and they listen to him. That sound like <laughs> Hollywood.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was funny because I because I know all this because there was an interview I watched with Garrett Reisman and he yeah. said yeah like most of the time like they say they want to get it right but then they like they don't really care you know but he's like this one they really really do um but but he's been in the writers' room every episode like since the beginning like you know oh that's great so wow so that's, that's really cool um and I'll just mention because I did a little research the other um like co-creators are uh was it matt uh ben nadivi and matt wait shoot where's it's like walpy or something like that um, yeah, but anyway Walpert and Walpert, ben yeah
0: Nade, Nade, yeah so they yeah, so met at guys?
1: yeah so they met at nyu film school and kind of helped each other out with their thesis projects and then um, I think it was Ben moved out to Hollywood and got a job on my name is Earl, and they just started like writing together on different projects and so they had and they've worked on Entourage Fargo and the Umbrella Academy hmm. oh, together. Nice. And, well, you can uh,
0: definitely see a lot of fingerprints of my name is Earl in Entourage, so that <laughs> really makes a lot of sense. <laughs> so, wait, so let's circle. Let's circle back to one thing real quick.
1: Wait, wait. Let me let me just wrap up that that. So they um so they wanted to do a sh- like they had tried to get a show going about um Werner von Braun, mm-hmm. and so they like knew a lot about that, and so somehow they were like working. Somehow they got connected. I think with Ron Moore to do some sort of western thing that never happened. Um, but then he, I guess he brought them on, um, for this, you know, probably because they were
2: going to do a show about like operation paperclip.
1: Uh, yeah, I think so. Or I don't know if it was about that or it was somehow involving the Nazi scientists who were, you know, sort of integral to the U S space program. Um, so
2: I could totally see somebody making a show about operation paperclip. So Mm -hmm. that's why. Yeah,
1: no, that would be, that would be super cool too. Yeah. Uh, Okay. So, so Raphael, what were you going to say?
3: Oh, yeah, no, I just wanted to touch back on, so this Battlestar Galactica ending that y'all don't like. I'm mostly kidding. Um, But yeah, uh, you know, Ron Moore's always made some great space shows. Do you guys even remember Virtuality? Uh, Very, very short-lived. But um, I was lucky enough to speak with him about it. About a year ago, I went to a screening for For All Mankind, and he's like, oh, wow, no one's asked me about that for a Hmm. long time. But I had to ask him about where that show was going to (laughs) go.
0: Yeah, I, I saw that when it came out, and I, I thought it was really great. And then it's like it's like uh, I think it aired on Fox, and it's like it seemed like they were determined to kill it as soon as it was on because it was like it kept it kept like moving nights or something, or like maybe or I don't know. Like it, it seemed like it seemed like it was sabotaged. How, however, they aired it. I don't remember now, but um, yeah, like what happened with that show?
3: Yeah, well, basically, they only did two episodes, um, oh, okay. but I have it on DVD. They just mm-hmm. released it as a
0: movie. Oh, okay. Yeah, gotcha. Again, yeah, yeah. I see here I didn't realize that uh, uh, Nikolaj Coster uh, waladu or I don't know if I'm saying that right. Yeah, the you know, waladu yeah. yeah, the guy from uh, Game of Thrones. Uh, I didn't realize he was in that. Um, I guess that was before I knew who he was. Um, he
3: was in a lot of promising shows that kept getting canceled before Game <laughs> of Thrones.
0: Yeah. <laughs> then his hand got canceled really fast. In day, so <laughs> like, you know, he... Uh... <laughs> uh,
1: let's see. I- I'll also, I guess, just mention... Um... One thing I didn't realize until I did research was there's this scene where, um, when Danielle Poole is being kind of held captive in Star City in mm, Russia, mm-hmm. there's this, like, you know, crusty guy who comes in and, like, drinks, mm-hmm. uh, vodka with her and stuff. And so that guy is actually, oh, shoot, uh, Korolev, I think is his name. And so, so actually the divergence point, I don't think it actually says this explicitly in the show, but Ron Moore has said that the divergence point, um, between this um, alternate history and ours, is that Kor- this guy Korolev was the Soviet was the head of the Soviet rocket program, and he died. Um, you know, so- at some point in the before the moon landing, um, of he-, he sort of went in for like minor surgery and ended up dying, and the and the Soviet rocket program kind of never recovered from that. And so so the divergence point is that he he lives and sort of, you know, continues the progress of the Soviet mm-hmm. rocket program. But so if you were wondering who that guy was, because I wasn't yeah. totally clear, um, that's oh, yeah. who that was. yeah.
3: In, in some sci-fi shows, you'll hear like a Korolev drive. And even in Star Trek, there's a Korolev class of ship.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I guess one other thing I saw is that, that Ron Moore said is that um, when he was originally... Um, and he's, like, a big fan of the space program, too. Like, it seems like he really knows his stuff. Um, so, like, so you can tell, like, all the creators, you know, this wasn't just, like, you know, they got assigned yeah. to do this and they were just, you know, mm-hmm. punching the clock or whatever. Like, this this is something they're all really passionate about. But he said that, you know, like, when he was originally thinking of just doing a show um, about NASA in the 70s, like a Mad Men in space mm-hmm. kind of thing. Like part of the reason that he didn't want to do that is because he's like it's just sort of like depressed. Like what actually happened is kind of depressing, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> so you know, like what would it be? You know, he's like, so I, I decided to make a show. Like, oh, like what 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 would, what would have happened mm-hmm. if the space program turned out the way I thought it was going to when I was a kid? Yeah. You know, like, yeah, that would
2: be. Yeah, I think that really explains yeah. the appeal in a nutshell. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. Yeah, like that. That just when you put it that way, it's like that's just that's like the perfect sell line for the show. You know, and yeah. it's like, yeah, hell yeah, I'll watch that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they and they deliver exactly on that promise. It's and it's it's incredible. I mean so, aside from aside from like the best alternate history show, I mean this is honestly like I mean this is in, in the conversation of like best science fiction shows ever. Like it's incredible. Yeah.
2: yeah.
1: So what uh what kind of um reviews and like commentary and stuff mm-hmm. like that have you guys seen about this show mm-hmm. like Is everybody as into it as we are? Or, like, have you seen any criticism or, like, whatever?
3: Across the board, it seems to be pretty lauded. I mean, I'm surprised it hasn't won a Peabody like Mm -hmm. Balstar did. I've only, honestly, ever seen one real criticism, but I'll only kind of half allude to this because we'll talk about it more next time. You know, it regards Danny Stevens. You know, basically, once he sleeps with Karen in season two, it does kind of, um, from that point forward... His character arc is a little questionable, but we can save that mostly Mm -hmm. for the season three discussion.
0: Yeah, yeah okay
1: yeah no spoilers i don't i don't know anything about i don't know i don't know anything about what happens after after that
0: yeah i mean um coming in like speaking of that it's like a i mean i i do have some quibbles i think maybe for season three um i'm not gonna say them now obviously but i mean yeah like just remembering some of the stuff that happens in there you're like yeah i can think of some things that i'm like well i didn't love that but um it's not like it's it's something wrong it's just that it's uh you know Maybe I didn't right. enjoy and that. And of course,
3: as much obviously, as, yeah. the seeds for that are planted in season two. You know, so yeah, 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 yeah. Karen and Danny sleeping together. Not my favorite plot point. <laughs> sure.
1: <laughs> it was interesting because on Rotten Tomatoes, season one is 74%, which seems like ridiculously low to me. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. Se- but then seasons two, three, and four are like 100. It's like 198, 100 or something really? like that. Really? Huh,
4: That's yeah. okay. really
3: shocking to me.
1: So yeah, I don't but, know if I mean, that's, that's just like all the people yeah. who didn't like it stopped watching and so then it's oh, only like the people who yeah, like right. it are reviewing <laughs> the later seasons or something. That
0: but, makes sense.
3: Well it could yeah. also be a little bit of the phenomenon that, you know, T V critics are usually only given a few episodes to watch. You know, they don't get the they don't get to see the entire season. So when you're reading like those Rotten Tomatoes reviews, they're usually just basing them off the first two to three episodes um so i think you know you watch the first two to three episodes of season one maybe it's not exactly like a 10 out of 10 show right out of the gate but by Mm -hmm. the end of season one you're like holy shit this (laughs) is a 10 out of 10 show yeah Uh,
0: Um, yeah, no i mean i i I thought it was 10 out of 10 in the first episode i I thought the first episode's amazing but um as good as i thought season one was i I actually think season two is actually better because it's like it really i mean i think maybe because it's because it becomes so much more science fictional, like, uh, you know, uh, so much more divergent, so much more like actual space stuff that, that is like, you know, like I love that stuff. So, um, that's, that's part of it. But I mean, it just seems like it really ups the ante uh, in every way and, you know, in every way that's good. Um, so, uh, yeah, anyway.
1: Uh, how about Sarah, have you, did you follow any online, uh, discussions or anything?
2: I just remember being very worried when it came out because I was like literally pleading with people to watch the show because I desperately wanted it to have, you know, all of the seasons and I had read somewhere, I'm not sure if I read this later on, but that, you know, they have a whole planned 7 season arc. And I want to see every bit of it. And so I remember when it came out, I was just like like, why am I the only person talking about this show? <laughs> you know, and I was like begging people to watch it. Uh, so I think that was just sort of also like the weirdness of of the mm-hmm. pandemic and things that were going yeah. on at that time. So,
0: Well, it took us four years to get Dave to do an episode about it. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> well, thank
3: God it's on Apple TV Plus because they don't cancel shows quickly. I mean, even yeah. that Jason Momoa's yeah. show, C got three yeah. seasons and no one was mm-hmm. watching it. I loved yeah. it, but
2: mm-hmm.
0: I couldn't find anyone that was watching it. <laughs>
2: I was watching yes, yeah,
0: yeah, thank goodness this, this show isn't on Netflix. It'd, right. be, it'd be gone already. I know. Yeah. Fucking Netflix.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> I'm still bitter about the OA. Only two seasons. Come on.
0: That was a really yeah. good
3: show. In
1: 1899.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the OA
1: hurt. I mean, um, were you on that? You were on that panel, Raphael? Or I think I was, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, seasons yeah, and, one and, and Sarah, two. Yes, I was. Sarah yeah, was, yeah. yeah. No, so, I'm still yeah, upset
2: I, about it. I'm still waiting for huh. her to like release the rest of the story as a novel or something.
0: Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That was actually before they were canceling everything all the time. <laughs> so that was it was even it was even worse back then. Yeah,
1: because yeah, there was a pretty big, it seems, fan campaign to. Mm-hmm. I don't know if people they said they had the numbers,
2: they had the viewer the viewership, but that some you know they decided to make decisions algorithmically. Uh-huh. And you know, it wasn't making it wasn't bringing in enough new subscribers, which is an insane metric because if you're the kind of person yeah. that loves stranger things, for example, mm-hmm. you're probably the same kind of person who loves the OA. And so, judging a show by that metric is is completely stupid.
3: It's very peculiar because it almost seems like they have opposite strategies. Like Netflix is like, "Oh, you love this show? Well, too bad, we're canceling it." <laughs> Apple's yeah. like, no one's watching. It. Well, we're going to keep making it until you do. <laughs>
2: well, it's a smarter, it's a smarter business yeah. decision because you yeah. know what Netflix is doing is very penny wise pound foolish. Yeah. and I think Apple TV is smart enough to look at the at the long game and say, "Hey, if we finish this show, we can keep making money off of it mm-hmm. in perpetuity." Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that is such a smarter way of doing stuff like this because yeah. y- they're aware that, you know, shows go through ebbs and flows of popularity. There's, you know, cult classics like the mm-hmm. you want something like The Princess Bride was a financial yeah. flop when it came out. You know, and I remember seeing that show in the theater and thinking that it was the greatest thing I've ever seen. So hmm. I was like, you know, I don't know, like seven years old or something. Yeah. And from my perspective as a kid, I thought everyone has seen this. Everyone understands how amazing this is. And then only as an adult, you know, I realized that it was considered an absolute failure at the time. And Mm -hmm. now it is a classic.
3: Yeah. And you got to give shows a chance to catch on because a lot of them don't until the third or fourth season. And then everyone's because, yeah, I think with For All Mankind, it really became a a pop culture thing in the last two years, but not the first two
1: years. Yeah. Well, let me say, I mean, though, I mean, yeah, I'm definitely hoping they if they have a seven season plan or whatever, that they're able to do the whole thing. Although, I mean, you know, it it does make you wonder. I mean, the fact that they have been able to do alternate history of the past doesn't necessarily mean Mm. it's going to work as well. Mm-hmm. getting into the you know like if they pass yeah. the the present i mean and, and especially yeah. if, if like if it gets more and more sci-fi i mean that becomes exponentially more difficult to mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know to make it all seem real and yeah you know it's a big um for sure ambitious yeah. challenging oh thing. no
0: to say oh no point. now, now, now i'm second. more afraid that there's going to be another another fumble at the goal line <laughs> <laughs>
3: But yeah, to Sarah's point, I mean, I really hope he gets to do it because clearly his intention is to kind of essentially thematically lead to the Star Trek future. Like if mm-hmm. he gets to do all seven seasons, that's where it's heading, Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, you know, uh, one, one of the things that I was just thinking about with regarding the, like the, the sort of Netflix, uh, uh, model and stuff. It's like the, one of the other things that seems like just ridiculous about that thinking is that there's like, so many shows right now. There's like so many shows coming out like every freaking day. It seems like, like it's yeah. impossible to keep up with shows. Like you need more time to be able to like find time to actually sit down and watch these things. Like, I mean, yeah. this show existed for four years and Dave didn't, you know, take time to watch it like it just didn't didn't yeah. come yeah to the forefront although in, you know? in my
1: in my defense i have heard that this was good for years and it's been on yeah, my yeah. you know um my list to watch for years but i i got married this year and so sure, like sure. i'm so far behind on i haven't watched anything you know no
0: but see exactly this is this, this is the point though that like even yeah. a science fiction super fan nerd like you knew that it was good <laughs> had it on your radar you hadn't gotten to it yet yeah. these things yeah. need time to to like be around for everyone to find it. I was like, going to and-
3: say Dave, in your defense, what kind of defense is that? Huh. Everyone kept telling you how great it was <laughs> and you waited for 4 years anyway.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, no, but I also do this pot You know so I'm like doing stuff all of it, you know, and it's there's like so much stuff to cover. So I mean, yeah. you know. The point like, is
2: that, that these geeks companies do not seem to understand that people have a finite amount of time, a specific amount of time to watch television. And that Doesn't really change. Like, you know, if I'm super, super obsessed with a show, I might alter my viewing habits slightly by, you know, watching two episodes per evening instead of one. But other than that, finite amount Mm -hmm. of time. And most people are like that. You know, you have your viewing habits, you have, and it's a good thing because otherwise we'd all be literally sitting on our butts all day long. You know you it's not healthy, you can only sit in front of a screen for so many hours yeah. a day, and you know they need to realize they're they're <laughs> they've hit a critical mass with these new shows, and instead of yeah. focusing on quantity, focus on quality yeah
1: but i mean what well, i what I top, was reading yeah. it is encouraging though that I mean like you know I, I guess in the past they've announced um you know that they've renewed it for another season kind of midway through the current season, mm-hmm. so hopefully there will be an announcement about season five you know in the next mm-hmm. you know couple of <laughs> weeks um <laughs> Sarah but, talking
3: about how you can only watch so many hours of TV a day and I'm like Homer Simpson back <laughs> into the
4: hedges.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but also I saw they, they, the guys I mentioned, Ben and Matt, um, they mm-hmm. just gave them like additional development deals, you know, Apple mm-hmm. did. So, I mean, mm-hmm. it's a little hard for me to believe that they would give them yeah. deals for other shows and cancel this one. So it seems pretty, yeah. um, you know, pretty, pretty likely yeah. that it's it's going to continue.
3: The biggest well, challenge that they're going to yeah. have is the generational aspect of it. I mean, they've certainly mm-hmm. done a great job so far, but yeah. we're getting to a point now where by season five, I can't really imagine anyone from season one still going to be around. I mean, maybe, but not by season six or seven. Yo, know, Joel Kinnaman was perfect casting because yeah. in season one, in real life, he was 38 playing a 38 year old. Mm-hmm. But I mean, like Dave said, it's not a spoiler. We all know the show advances a decade mm-hmm. every season. So, you know, at some point it's like, well. They
2: have been very kind to he and Karen. Uh, <laughs> yeah. About, like, they give him a little bit of salt and pepper in the hair. They yeah, always, yeah. Like, you know, I'm like, oh, oh, he's oh, the... oh, come on. Tell me what their skincare is like in that time <laughs> period, please.
3: <laughs> oh, he's the spryest 72 year old I've ever
0: seen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah.
1: No, Sarah, once, well, once the we have amazing... fusion power, you wouldn't believe yeah. the skin products yeah. that come out of that.
0: It's one of the other amazing advances. <laughs> Um, oh, I was going to say though, with, uh, you know, with the, with the problem of, uh, like the, you know, just the, uh, a- amazing amount of content that's out there is like, the other thing is that people also, uh, rewatch shows a lot. Like when season four of a show like this comes out, like maybe I'm going to spend some time rewatching seasons one through three. So that's only going to delay us finding all of the new shows, like, you know, like yeah. when when Dave was saying, and it, it's like I know Dave. You end up, you know, binging shows or maybe I don't know how often you actually rewatch or if you're just doing everything. No, I don't, I don't watch have time to rewatch
1: time, TV these days. No way. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know, so uh, a lot of people do though, and um, you know, so it's like that makes it even harder. And you know, we need, we need I delayed time for these watching shows to season
2: four for this show. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. I was like, I need to rewatch season one because it's been so many years. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, they they didn't get my little my little viewership tick, but <laughs> yeah. after tonight we're starting season four. So <laughs> right. Right.
1: <laughs> I Also just mentioned in this interview I watched with, uh, with Ronald Moore, he said that um, there was this show. I don't know. I'm curious if anyone has ever heard of this. I hadn't called Centennial. That was kind of a <clears throat> inspiration for this, but apparently I think it was maybe in the seventies or something, but it, it tracks like what happens in this town over generations. And oh. um, <laughs> you know, so like from like, you know, Indians and pilgrims, I think, and stuff like that Mm. up through the present, you know, so you see like, oh, these, you know, these people have, these characters have kids and then you follow their kids and Mm -hmm. they have kids and you follow their kids, so.
3: Oh, wow, Dave, you're Mm. giving me flashbacks to our dark discussions.
1: (laughs) 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 Yeah, that got pretty complicated. Um, But but yeah, just again, just how ambitious this is. Like, I can't even, Mm -hmm. I'd never heard of that show and I can't think of any other show that's, you know, that's tried to show such a, a big span of time like that, you know.
0: Yeah, I mean, even even books that try to do that are are few on the ground, and it's a lot easier to do in a book.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um. So so yeah, I mean, it's just like a really ambitious, like striking, original kind of show in a lot of ways, in like mm-hmm. m- along multiple, you know, angles. Mm-hmm. Um. All right, we're pretty we're, we're we're pretty close to being out of time, so I guess it really is a good thing that we didn't try to also talk about seasons <laughs> three and four in this uh, conversation. Yeah. <laughs> um. But so maybe we should start getting into, into some final thoughts. So, uh, so Sarah, any other final thoughts on seasons one and two of of the show?
2: I've I, You know, I don't really have anything specific. Well, I do say I want to defend the decision to put Danny and Karen together because I think that there was some commentary on oh. grief there hmm. and that that was the emotional center of why that happened. I'm just going to leave that, you know, <laughs> at that because I, I feel like that's a decision that didn't necessarily uh, make a lot of sense to a lot of viewers and i'm not saying i would do the same thing because especially after rewatching season 1 and seeing her literally babysitting this yeah. child <laughs> it's you know it's like oh my god but uh you know i think that what they were doing uh with that decision uh was ultimately a really smart uh commentary on grief and just in terms of you know, seeing these female characters as whole people, full people—they are not; they're complicated. They're allowed to be as complicated as the men, and that's a very, very good marker of a good show.
1: I mean, I, I, I would want to rewatch the season and see, but sort of my read on it at this moment is that she was just like never really okay with Ed putting her in this position of making her worry about him so much for so many years. And there was just this, this kind of like resentment over that that sort of just built up year after year after year after year, and it was. I think just-
2: it was you know that that was part of it. I think that that's kind of what made the, the that plot detail work for me is that it worked on multiple levels, especially since she was doing it for very different reasons than he was mm. doing it.
1: Yeah, but that was that was uh, that was rough though. When he's just like, "Okay, and now we can get a place together," and <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's yeah, like, yeah, Oh no, yeah. oh no, no, no. That's no. the
2: realism coming. In, man.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, that's,
2: that's why it was great. It was like, it's like, girl, what did you, what did you yeah. do?
0: <laughs> Danny's like, can we get another divergence point here where uh, this goes differently? <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, okay, so uh, John, final thoughts.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, I'll just reiterate that uh, I think this is one of the best science fiction shows probably ever um certainly the best alternate history show um and uh everybody watch it get all your friends to watch it because we yeah we got to get those seven seasons
1: yeah and and i'll say like i mean i i I remember when we did our Watchmen panel i was kind of like okay i i totally forgive damon Lindelof for a lot for the (laughs) ending of lost now you know he's totally (laughs) redeemed himself and i feel like the same way with Ronald Moore. Yeah. I'm like such a Ronald Moore fan after watching this now and mm-hmm. all of that like you said, all that uh stuff that happens in the past. We're just going to move, <laughs> we're just going to move past that. We're just not even going to worry about that anymore. Yeah. Know? the
2: honestly, the the existence of this show is my for, like I forgive Ron Moore for the fact that I think what he did is he he took some steps away from Outlander cuz Outlander started to get really bad. And I think it's because Ron Moore stepped away from Outlander in order to focus on this show. So I forgive mm. him for making <laughs> Outlander kind of, you know, amazing opener, and then it just trailed off into mm. oblivion.
1: Yeah, I haven't seen Outlander, but I did see internet commentary saying that it, it declines after he went, after season, he went away. So mm. that's, yes. that's consistent with my understanding of the situation.
2: Yes, but he had to sacrifice that <laughs> for this show, and so I forgive mm-hmm. him.
0: Okay. seems like a worthy <laughs> <laughs> Uh
1: Raphael final thoughts
0: uh, Sarah's
3: right about Outlander strong start <laughs> then it didn't maintain it um, final thought is Ron Moore needs no forgiveness for <laughs> <laughs> because battle circle <laughs> no. <laughs> um, no real talk um, <laughs> I, I need my seven seasons of For All Mankind so please watch For All Mankind and Foundation and Silo we gotta keep these shows going
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, again, um, yeah. Apple TV Plus, really killing it. Uh, Severance, also awesome.
0: Oh, Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. So good. No,
3: Apple TV Plus is the best app, and I'm a PC Android guy, so I am Mm -hmm. like the (laughs) anti-iPhone shill, trust me.
1: But yeah, no, I was blown away by how good this was. I mean, I thought it was, like, I heard it was good, and I was expecting to enjoy it, but I I was like, wow, this is way better, even than I, you know, was expecting. So, yeah, definitely Mm -hmm. if you're a science fiction fan, if you have any uh, interest in the space program or, like, you know alternate history or anything like that. Like you just got to watch the show like 100%, no question.
0: And even if you just like dramas, come on.
1: Yeah. If you like Mad Men in space, you got that, you know? So, um, so yeah, Yeah, and definitely
3: and the writing is just sensational on this show. Yeah. Really.
1: Yeah. And, And then definitely looking forward to talking to you guys about seasons three and four uh can't wait to because i just heard like I, I couldn't avoid all spoilers in my research so i yeah. i i heard about some awesome thing that happens at the beginning of season mm-hmm. three so i i sort of mm-hmm. restrained myself from, yes. from watching it but uh <laughs> probably as soon as we, i get off the call here i'll i'll go check that I out i
2: have many opinions well
3: you know david <laughs> when you when you run out of new shows to review let's go back and revisit battlestar galactic
1: season <laughs> four <laughs> We're just tearing the scab off or, you know, reopening those old wounds. No, we can do that. We can do that. It'll be fun. Um, but re-
0: I mean, we'd have a great time for 99% of it. <laughs> 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 yes,
1: that's good. <laughs> All right. So let's, uh, let's wrap things up there. So we've been speaking with John Joseph Adams, Sarah Lynn Mishner, and Raphael Jordan. So thanks, everyone, so much for joining us. Thanks for having us.
2: See you next time.
1: <laughs> and that was our panel. So big thanks again to John Joseph Adams, Sarah Lynn Mishner, and Raphael Jordan for joining us on the show. This episode of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy was made possible thanks to support from listeners like you. So if you enjoy the show and want it to continue, please support us on Patreon over at patreon.com slash geeks, or via PayPal over at geeksguideshow.com slash crowdfunding. All right, so that was our show. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and
0: we'll see you next time. The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is a production of Wired.com. For more information about the show, visit geeksguideshow.com. To learn more about your host, visit davidbarkertley.com. Music and voiceover produced by yours truly, Jack Kincaid. If you enjoyed this program, tell your friends.